Welcome to On Scripps Biblical World, a podcast exploring the history, archaeology, geography, and cultures of the Bible. Visit us at onscriptstudy biblicalworld. Hey, Biblical World listeners, this is Matt Lynch coming to you from Regent College in Vancouver. Thanks so much for tuning in. In this episode, we have Kyle Keimer along with uh, Chris and a guest named George Pierce. Kyle and George co-edited a book called The Ancient Israelite World, which I highly recommend and you're going to want to look at and um, enjoy. Uh, So they'll be discussing the various essays that went into this book and some of what they were trying to do um, in synthesizing this 47-chapter volume on uh, various aspects of the biblical world. So a lot here. I uh, hope you enjoy it. And uh, as a reminder, as we get into this holiday season, please pass a word on about this podcast so others can find out about it. Maybe you want to you know, wrap a box, and in that box you could put a little message like with the Biblical World website on it, onscript.study forward slash biblical world, and then um, w- which is a you know, a fantastic gift you can give someone. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Um, if they subscribe in their podcast feed, then unlike other gifts where, you know, you get it and it's complete and then you're done, uh, podcasts like this one, it will keep going. And uh, so what better gift to give in this holiday season? All right, that's just one way that you can pass the word along. There are many others as well. So please do take advantage of, of this season. Okay, enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, OnScript Biblical World listeners. Uh, we are really excited today to have a guest, George Pierce. I'm joined by my co-host, Kyle. But Kyle's also uh, really kind of a guest as well because he's a star uh, in this volume that we're going to talk about. Uh, both he and George have edited a book called The Ancient Israelite World. It's weighing down my desk right now as we speak. <laughs> uh, I've I've not read through every chapter. There's 47 chapters in this massive uh, volume. But what we'd like to do is, is, first of all, introduce George to our audience and then talk about what this book uh, is and what its purposes are. Um, so, George, why don't you uh, introduce yourself a bit and then we can get into the book. Sure. Um, well, it's great to be here, so thanks for having me. Um, and I am an associate professor at Brigham Young University. I teach in the Department of Ancient Scripture, so that's Old Testament, New Testament. Um, I mostly teach Old Testament classes, so Hebrew Bible. And um, my background, my undergrad degree is in history with a minor in biblical studies. And I went to Wheaton College um, and got a master's degree there. And uh, uh, master's degree from the University of York in archaeological information systems and then ended up after some time living in Beersheba uh, ended up at UCLA and and got my PhD there in Near Eastern languages and cultures and I wrote on the hinterland of the port of Jaffa in the Bronze and Iron Ages which is a real page turner um, it is I've read it. like yeah. five pages of it yeah so Kyle knows uh, so I've, I've known Kyle for a long time uh, we were students at Wheaton together, and then uh, we were also students at UCLA together, and we lived together, and we dug together, and he was the best man at my wedding. He was a man at my wedding. No, I'm just kidding. He was the best man at my wedding, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and now we're now we're editing things and writing things together. So 
the circle of life. Uh, it, it right, it's all there. There's a lot. Yeah, and now you have now. a child together. The ancient Israelite world. Yes. You know, it's, yeah, it just weighs Israelite about eight pounds. Which, it's. Yeah, I was gonna it's say a big that, baby. Yeah. yeah, it's like an eight pound, two ounce baby, <laughs> seven hundred ninety pages. It's uh, yeah, it's it's hefty. <laughs> Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of how it's turning out. So it's, <laughs> yeah, that's how that works. <laughs> that's, well, that's fun great. to, to have think, George on here. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Kyle, why don't <laughs> yeah. you give us a brief volume, a brief overview of the, of the volume? Yeah. You know, I mean, there are seldom volumes like this that create such a frenetic energy amongst the masses. So it's really fun to kind of talk about it today on our podcast and kind of shamelessly plug it. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's this, um, great volume on many aspects of the ancient Israelite world. And so Rutledge, uh, which is whom we published it with had approached me uh, several years back and said, you know, we really want to do a, a volume on ancient Israel. And we have this series called the, the world's series and they have you know, a whole bunch of different things. There's already a biblical world. There's a Sumerian world, a um, world of Babylon amongst every other kind of historical period and culture. Yeah. I'm looking world. at now the Arthurian <laughs> world. That's what I yeah. want to read next. Yeah, really? no, there's a uh, there's a ton of really interesting ones out there, and they're and they're just these massive volumes that are are meant to be really go to references for for scholars and students. And so when they approached me, I was like, I said, yeah, this will be great. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Little did I know what I was getting into, but um, I was all on board with it when they they came to me. Um, but at the same time, I really wanted to set something or make something that was different from some of the other volumes that are out there in ancient Israel. So took a, a while to kind of think about different different topics and different approaches of what might be missing in the field or what way we could reframe some things within the, the field of, of biblical archaeology and to a lesser degree, biblical studies. But the kind of driving theme behind this entire volume is that we're looking at you know, the, the world of ancient Israel, obviously the title, um, but that means kind of the the early exploration, the the methodological ways that we look at and study the archaeology and the text of the Bible, and how we bring those things together, and 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 then also what has the impact of studying ancient Israel been on broader culture today? So we we kind of touch on a whole slew of different things, in a in a way to really, um, I think, bring students and and peers into the the every aspect of the field that we can from the history of exploration to the modern impact to the actual material culture uh itself and looking at yeah i mean i i would yeah. just say right I, I would just say from uh the title alone and from the 47 contributions our audience uh would definitely be interested because it's literally uh, just a slight change in what the podcast name is. This is the this is the biblical world, and each one of these chapters has a, an element that connects with that biblical world. And so, if you're looking for just a, a great overview um, of of this of of the biblical world that we're so fascinated in on this podcast, this is the place to go. But I haven't read every forty all forty seven, but I can tell it's not just an overview. What you're getting is an in-depth uh, analysis of each one of these layers, uh, which I think is something that's really lacking um, in, in in this type of volume that's out there, that it has such a nice coverage. Yeah, this was one of the things, and I'll, I'll let George say a bit more about this too, is you know, one of the things that we wanted to do is provide 
a resource that really did go in depth, but at the same time wasn't limited just for for scholars and people that were already in the know. So, you know, when we approached the different contributors, we said, you know, give us, make it accessible, give us a kind of overview of the situation within your theme or your topic, but really feel free to go deep into it and then think about synthesizing it in a way that isn't generally done in say either introductory volumes on the archeology span or introductory volumes to the biblical uh, narrative, but really go deeper. And, and across the board, everybody did a fantastic job. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that being able to, to counsel people and just say, you know, you're allowed to write within your discipline, play to your strengths. You know, if you want to do a case study or something that dives into something, do it. Um, but we, we did ask to say, okay, have a little bit of an intro so that we can bring people up to speed, but then like dive in and, and, and do it. And like Kyle said, to a person, every contributor did that. And we were, we were happy with that because, um, I think it showcases a lot, the different approaches, but also here's some issues. And I think a lot of contributors then were able to say, well, then here's where we could go not right this is the this is the official like end of the story and there's nothing else to contribute but here's where we could go here's some things that we should look at and even in conversations with other scholars um out in the field when when i was excavating last summer um i would talk about various chapters and people were like oh i should include this aspect or we could look at this now for my research and so it's already sort of spinning off and and helping people to to think about here are some other questions that we could ask when we look at the ancient Israelite world, and, and and that includes you know future directions, so digital archaeology and and hard sciences and things like this, and so um, I think it's it came together really well to to illustrate this, and, and at the same time as Kyle mentioned, working with the biblical text because that was one of the things that that we uh, together talked about was that there's no way to not include the text in some sort of way. Of the Hebrew Bible, because you're going to have to encounter that um, and treat it as as a valid ancient text and as an artifact in some cases, and and work with that. So while it's not wholly relying on archaeology and rejecting the the biblical text, it's not also wholly just looking at the biblical text and and not encountering archaeology except for you know local color or something. It has that that um, encounter with both worlds, I think. And that's what's going to set it apart from like the biblical world volume that Rutledge also put out. Yeah, I, I just have um, kind of an observation and I, I would like to get your comments on this as well. Uh, I think we're all kind of around the same uh, age of kind of coming up in the same textbooks. And uh, like the big one was Ami Mazar's The Archaeology of the Land of the Bible. Um, I forget what, I think it's in the, in the Anchor series um, published by Doubleday. Mm -hmm. And that was published, like published in 1990, which means it was written in the, um, <laughs> like in the mid to late 80s. Um, and Ami, who is you know the doyon of of, of archaeologists, and we all uh, appreciate and continue to see his scholarship. He would tell you himself, and I've had conversations with him that I have to revise it, but it's such a big task to incorporate the last 30 plus years of of research related to the land and the Bible. Um, and by the way, even in that book, it doesn't cover things like historical geography and all these other new, um, these other disciplines that existed or elements that uh, your book does. And so I just see this as 
um, maybe the the wave of the, the wave of the new type of of textbook, the first kind of touchstone that um, whether it's an undergraduate student, a grad course, when they encounter uh, the the cultural, archaeological, geographical context of uh, the Hebrew Bible of ancient Israel, uh, I can think of no better book to to start um, because now you have not just one person's voice, but you have all of them. And so maybe you guys can comment on how you see this um, uh, being used, and then um, and then also maybe commenting a bit on uh, the, kind of the difference of of a single volume like this, and then I, I should say a single authored volume um, that is out there. And then what this has to offer with the multi, uh, with the multi authors that are in it. George, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I so as I think about this uh, in comparing it, I think it's it's interesting that you bring up Ami Mazar's uh, Archaeology of the Land of the Bible, and of course, like Volume Two um, um, by Stern uh, in that same series, mm -hmm. and so having the the sort of companion to that. But then also thinking about other volumes like um, Archaeology Society in the Holy Land, um, edited by Tom Levy, uh, that was put out what 1995, somewhere around there. So these are the textbooks that, that the three of us sort of cut our teeth on um, as we look at this. Um, I think the value and sort of uniqueness of this um, is that, and I, and I compare this to, and I think about somebody um, like um, uh, William Foxwell Albright. So in Albright's day, uh, back in the early 20th century, and up through the mid 20th century, Albright was, of course, like the you know father of biblical archaeology, at least from the American school perspective. But Albright also had a command of what, like Hebrew and you know Akkadian and Egyptian and all and Hittite and all kinds of other ancient languages, and like knew all the archaeology and all the ins and outs. But when you think about the scope of the field at the time you could have an Albright who knew practically everything about everything. And even going up to the 80s, when you have Ami um, writing this you know, volume, you could have one person kind of having a command of everything and saying, okay, well, here's the archaeology of, of, of Israel um, from you know, whatever he has to like 10,000 BC up to like 586, right? In terms of this, like, here's the archaeology of the, of the Holy Land. Um, in terms of this, we are at a point now um, that we have all become specialized, uh, and we do this through graduate school, um, even as much um, a, a diverse training as like even Kyle and I had at UCLA in Hebrew Bible, in other Northwest Semitics, in Akkadian, in Egyptian, in the various archeologies of the Northern Levant and Mesopotamia and Anatolia and Egypt and, and the Southern Levant and all the rest of this, we still have our own specialties. A single, I, I don't feel, and maybe I'm wrong and you guys can just chastise me for it, but I don't think a single author <laughs> um, type of archaeology or history of the ancient Israelite world would be possible just because of the scope, right? The breadth of, of data that we have now, but also the specializations. And so, um, like for instance, right, Chris, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare to take on any of the historical geographical angles, right? that you do because you have that training. I don't. Um, I can muddle through it and do a really bad job at it, but why not just play to your strength? Right? My my training, my specialty is, is GIS and settlement patterns and looking at why people lived where they lived and how those things changed. And you think, well, right, we've put all the dots on the map. Is there anything left? Well, yeah, because we keep finding sites. We have to keep thinking about relationships. So play to that, right? The, the other authors that are in here, 
um, right, and, and Kyle, right, talking about monumental architecture, this is what's needed now because people have these specialties and other people don't. Um, and, and I can appreciate them when I read, you know, the chapter by Christoph Oilinger on iconography and how it's used, in, or Dan Belknap's chapter on ritual, um, and he's a specialist out of Chicago um, dealing with ritual in the ancient world and how that works. You know, I'm just blown away, and, and I was, as I because unlike you, I had to read all 47 chapters. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just blown away by, by people's specialties and by, and by the depth of knowledge that they bring, and I go, wow, um, I don't think I could have ever treated, you know, historical geography with the, the sort of, you know, necessary components that, that are required there, or I couldn't have talked about chronology um, like Kurt Von Beckham and others. I just don't have that. Um, but I do have the skills to be able to read their chapters and edit them and then put them into a book. So, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's just how I see it is, is the field has grown um, exponentially to the point where no one person can master all the, the data. And so if, if someone were to sit down and try and write a revised version of Archaeology of the Land of the Bible, yeah, it would be a mammoth undertaking for one single person. And so I think the, the edited approach is the way to go. I don't know. Kyle, what do you... I disagree completely. I know... No, I'm just kidding. Yes, I... <laughs> no, I, I concur entirely. And, you know, the... Yeah, I mean, you've raised so many good points. I think the the amount of material that's out there to try and know and understand and really work with is just it's just mind boggling. And particularly when, even when we just think about the archaeological remains, the the rate of excavations just in Israel itself is is ridiculous. I mean, there's so much material that's being found that it's there's already a lag of years and some stuff hasn't even been published yet. That's been, I mean, a lot of stuff hasn't been published yet. That's been excavated over the last 10, 20. And then we get to legacy excavations that have been unpublished for 50, 60 years. And so the material to, to even control all that is, is really challenging. Then you layer on languages, layer on geographic discussions, layer on, you know, any other element. And it just becomes, I mean, very complex. And so, yeah, to do an edited volume is really the only way I think that you can do service to, you know, I, I guess do service to the field in two different ways. Number one, kind of the broad scope of it and everything. But number two, then it allows you to really delve in in a deeper way that you might not be able to in a single authored volume. So, uh, you know, with George, I mean, I, I learned something out of every article that I read and it was it was great. I mean, I, I loved reading these and the topics were were also fun to kind of come up with because we are at a point where it's like well we have all this data let's go deeper you know we spent the last couple of generations putting things together and synthesizing it let's let's take the next step because now we have new technologies new abilities that we can ask new questions we can frame discussions in a different way we can revisit old questions as well in light of new data and you know it's just part of the process that we need to constantly be reevaluating what we know and and what we're able to to do with the material that's out there and so this volume i mean we really tried to do that and to give even just a snippet and granted we could have included several more chapters and and initially there were going to be even more but we had to, to cut it back a little bit um because there's just so much material that's out there it's a little light it's a little you know my, my <laughs> desk hasn't completely collapsed 
Um, yeah. I, I think once that, we got to a quarter million words, Rutledge was like, mm, maybe you should tone it back <laughs> just a bit. So <laughs> <laughs> they were gracious and let us have an extra what, like forty thousand, fifty thousand words. Yeah, it was like forty, fifty well. thousand words so, uh, extra. So you know, that's what's weighing down. Which your is almost like an entire volume in and of itself. Yeah. <laughs> I I would I would just comment and say um, I agree with you in terms of you know, a single author type of textbook. Um, but what I appreciate about um, editing a volume such as this and having edited or co-edited a massive Festschrift uh, in the past where you get to read 50, 60 different contributions and then uh, you benefit so much, not only from learning these different things, um, but what, what I, what I want to get at is it's kind of this both and. One is there's no more Albrights. It's not possible to be Albright anymore but all, the Albright method is still the best. In other words, if we could know everything, we should have tried to. And, and so um, I, I don't think the, um, the fact that we can't know um, should uh, cause us depression or stop us from trying to be exposed to as much of these fields as possible. Because in my experience, and especially like in, in, the, in the world of historical geography, as a as a as a multidisciplinary uh, approach, that's where the key is. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be able to look at it from new angles, uh, look at your material from a variety of things. You're gonna find out that you're interested in things that you never were interested in before by looking at other looking at other data and looking at these other elements. And um, and, and in fact, I mean, that often is the way of, of pushing the field forward and not just on, only uncovering new excavations, new data, but through this multi-tiered approach from all these different, all these different voices that are out there. Um, I did actually want to ask you guys another uh, question um, because I think uh, maybe I'll preface this with uh, some, some comment. And that is, even though it's not, um, it's not a single author, uh, you both edit it kind of from a similar perspective and the people that have you have chosen and they've agreed to join you all have i wouldn't say a monolithic approach to <laughs> every topic that there's a, a wide diversity of, of of views that are out there but but knowing you both and especially with kyle on the podcast and, and teaching together um i think one of the uh big differences again if we kind of go to back to that touchstone of 1990 um it's it's really a lost world of scholarship because not only is it there's an explosion of new information. There's also an explosion of very diverse views about how we are to interpret that information. And especially when it comes to the history of ancient Israel and especially the iron age. And so um, with the wide variety of studies, and I have read good, a long section of your, um, your initial uh, article, you guys have, I think crafted in such a way where even though you do have the diversity of views throughout, it is a, a way of approaching this from, you might say, a, a, a certain stream of scholarship uh, as opposed to the ones that are out there um, in, in different avenues. So maybe as much as you're willing to <laughs> talk about, uh, talk about uh, the different views that are out there as far as and, and getting into you know, what choices you guys made about uh, particular topics um, uh, that relate to that. I'll let yeah, Kyle well, go because I was brought on late. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> well, I, I think yeah, the, the first thing, I mean, yeah, there's there's so many views about out there and how do you how do you do service to them? And, and 
for me, I, I really dislike and have a problem with really monolithic views where where scholars come across as that this is the only way and it's my way and this is what it's going to be because many times the, the that's not the only way i mean almost always it's not the only way we always have to interpret the material and so i you know i think it's a disservice to colleagues and to students that want to get into the field to just present a monolithic view and so when we're thinking of people to to come on is that you know Yes, we thought about number of people for for many of the different ones, but we really wanted to get a diverse view. So we didn't want everybody to come from the same background or have the same uh, interpretational framework, same methodological approach to the material. And so we tried to get people around the world, um, people of religious backgrounds, not religious backgrounds, you know, different views that are out there. And, and I can tell you, I, I mean, I don't agree with everything that everyone in the volume wrote. And and I'm fine with that. I don't think I need to. And and I certainly didn't try to push any of the editors to to change their or I'm sorry, to, to, to change the contributors, make them change their views. I'm happy for them to present what they have. My my um, point, though, that I would raise with with some of them or that I that I did is that, you know, make sure you're thinking about this or or what is the methodological implication or are you you know using a good methodology as part of framing this discussion, you know, because I want them to be thinking as much as I'm thinking and, and their, their writings are causing me to think as well. And so hopefully we've done that. Um, again, I'm sure people will read this and won't agree with everything that people have written, but it, it, we've tried to be as diverse as possible. Yeah, and when Kyle brought me on, um, when was that? January, February 2020, something around there. It was in the before COVID days. Um, <laughs> We, uh, we had actually sat down and talked about this um, in, in detail in, in terms of who to ask because not all the chapters had been had been invited yet um, or the only contributors had been invited to, to submit a chapter. Um, in fact, I think we were still trying to lock down like which chapters we were going to have. Um, but uh, we talked about this, having a multiple right, uh, approaches to this, not being locked into one sort of particular interpretive school of archaeology. Um, whether that be like an American school or an Israeli school or Tel Aviv or, or Hebrew University or European or whatever, we wanted this diverse approach. And, and as Kyle said, we, we sought that out. But there were times, and I agree, and I totally agree with Kyle because we, we had these conversations. Um, you know, I'm like, I don't know if I agree with this paper, but I can see where they're going with this. And then we would, you know, encourage them to think about, okay, could you include an alternate viewpoint or could you at least, you know, sort of frame this in a different way that would not seem as normative, right? As this is the only way to understand um, this, because as we all know the ancient world, there's multiple interpretations because we're just separated in time and space. So, um, yeah, I think that, I, I think there, but there's a, there's, it's interesting that coming out of that then, as we looked at the, this introductory chapter and trying to sort of frame everything together to say, this is, there's a multiple, right, multiple approaches, multiple views, um, but we're all kind of trying to do the same thing. And, and even though, I, I mean, maybe the readers may not agree with this chapter or that chapter, this is a way that, that it could be interpreted. So at least let's stay open to this, um, realizing that there's, again, multiple interpretations and we may not ever know, like, in a sort of positivist way, what the actual whole truth is, because we won't. Um, so let's sort of be open to, to things. And I think that's, uh, right. One of the great things in this volume. 
And, and one of the yeah, things too, I, I would, I, I working would, oh, sorry. frame. Oh, I'll just add one one last comment. I say one of the the operating things we had with the with this is we really wanted people to be explicit in using theory and and method and kind of articulating that or at least using that in their approach. So it's not just a descriptive narrative, but but there's more. And I think this was a necessary element. Number one, because there are different interpretations, different views of the material culture of what you're doing with it. But also because, again, we're just finding more and more stuff so rapidly, we didn't want this volume to be out of date, you know, next month, because all of a sudden, we found new things. And I think that by by looking at the different themes and issues that we do in the volume, and having a, a more informed and um, theoretically methodologically framed discussions for each of the, the topics, that there's staying power there that you can really get a sense of, okay, here's here's the bigger interpretational issue around this topic. Here's the specific details as well, but here's the, the bigger issues as well. And I think that this is this is one element that the volume brings that really um, hasn't been done really explicitly or broad scale in most other volumes out there. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And maybe I could just give a little bit of background about the specific case study of my case study, because I, just to give some, yes, by the way, yes, Chris has also, Chris has written a chapter in this volume and it's probably the best. I mean, I don't want to make the other authors jealous. Number one, it's number two chapter. Yeah. If, uh, if, if, if the, if your audience needed a, a chapter to start with, don't worry about our introduction, start with your chapter and build from there. It is a solid foundation to build on. (laughs) <laughs> because there's nothing more central to studying the history of ancient Israel than the Amalekite spoil list. Um, and that's oh, yeah, what no, my chapter is about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what my point is, is that in the writing of it and through your encouragement, it was an introduction to what historical geography is, brief introduction, overview, and then it's historical geography applied to a particular question. And that, uh, and, and over the course of that, what you end up having is how do you, if you're approaching the question of the Amalekite spoil list in First Samuel, how do you identify all 10 or 12 of these sites? And you have to deal with issues of textual criticism and the Septuagint and the Hebrew Bible. You have to deal with the onomasticon. You have to deal with physical geography. You have to deal with uh, Arabic toponymy. You have to deal with um, uh, archaeology as well as past suggestions. So even though it was a bit of an obscure text, although I love obscure texts, um, it it exposed um, all of the different aspects of what historical geography does, both in terms of site identification, but also settlement patterns, and also how we're to understand the dating of a text like like First Samuel, um, where we have these kind of lists of, of, of cities. And so I think, uh, again, uh, just looking at the, uh, the table of contents and knowing the scholars that I do, that what's valuable about this is instead of it being, uh, you know, a three or 4,000 word chapter on the Philistines or the Ammonites or, or whatever, it's, it's a state of the research of the field. And it's approaching these questions in a way that's really meaningful, that's, that both, um, uh, undergraduates, graduate students, anyone interested in this topic can really benefit from from having that overview. Uh, but also scholars themselves uh, can say this is a a, a topic um, that's that's fresh. it's it could it could be in a peer-reviewed uh, journal and yet still has uh, enough uh, introductory power 
to bring other people into the, in the discussion. And so I think you're both to be commended for really ticking both of those boxes because it's it's not something that, uh, in my opinion, uh, from the books that I've seen, has been done like this before. It's either one or the other. It's either a kind of edited volume of a specific question that is a specific scholarly contribution, or it's a generic overview. And um, I think you guys have done a great job bringing those two ideas together. I did want to ask you another question, though. What is Israelite? What do you mean by Israelite? Is this the United Kingdom of Israel? Um, is this uh, the Northern Kingdom of Israel only? Uh, I've heard that there's this forgotten kingdom of Israel before by other authors. What are you guys implying? Is this the modern state of Israel? I mean, I don't know. Tell, tell me like I know nothing. Let's just answer yes, Kyle, and then we're done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes <laughs> to all of those things. Yeah. To all no, you know, one of the things that I, yeah, and this is something I learned in grad school and have really just went in when it was actually David Schloan, who's at the University of Chicago, um, came and taught a, a guest uh, seminar. And he said, you know, you can use terms however you want to, but you need to define them because, I mean, some, some of these different terms that are used in the ancient field can be used in different ways and have different definitions, different meanings and, and carry different implications. So you really need to define them and be explicit. And is that simple point that really has stuck with me over the years, like, okay, what is, you know, what am I taking for granted and what are the terms that we're using? And so in the introduction chapter to the volume, we really try to parcel that out and say, oh, what is the ancient Israelite world? What do we mean by Israelite? What is the scope of, you know, something that's ancient and what is the, the breadth of the volume? And so when we talk about ancient Israel, it is in this the broadest possible sense. So Israel as a kind of identified people group through the through the biblical text of you know the, at least from the kind of early Iron Age, end of the Bronze Age, so 1200 BC. Let's just say roughly the days of Moses, biblically speaking, through the kind of um, exilic period. And you know Routledge did did want us to put a limit on the the breadth of the volume at the with the Babylonian destruction of Judah. So we call this kind of the first temple period, even though one one chapter on Babylon goes after that because it needed to. Um, but but Israelite is really this broad, broad term. So we, we kind of you aren't using it necessarily in a political sense, as as this refers to the United Monarchy of Israel or the divided Northern Kingdom of Israel, or even an idealized later view of oh, what is Israel? You know, are we is Judah the new Israel? Well, it's just a bit more generic and broad to kind of capture as much as possible the biblical scope, the biblical narrative. Um, you know, archaeologically speaking, than the end of the Bronze Age throughout most of the Iron Age. Yeah, and I think I think Rachel yeah, Hallow's chapter that, also that points sense. out. Yeah, uh, I think Rachel Hell's chapter also points out the fact that, like, when we talk about biblical Israel, um, that is not necessarily contiguous with modern Israel. Uh, seeing as most of biblical Israel is now in the West Bank, and so, right there's there's these lines. So Kyle and I had talked about this, and and honestly, um, where it came out, where we thought about this, and I think I thought about it more than anything else. Um, I don't know if I shared this with Kyle. It was, and probably we did at some point. Was in choosing the cover image. Right? Trying to choose the cover image, and we say, okay, what do we mean by Israel? Um, okay, do we want something from 1200 to 1000 or BC, or do we want something from 1000 to 586? 
Do we want something from the north? Do we want something from the south? If we pick one image, is this going to sort of cement in the reader's minds already, oh, well, they're just going to talk about Judah, right? Or, or they're just going to talk about the forgotten northern kingdom, right? Or they're going to just talk about something else. And so it was a real stretch to try and figure out. And I even consulted all of my colleagues at Brigham Young University who teach what I teach in Hebrew Bible and in New Testament and have any sort of archaeological leanings. And I would give them a list and said, here's 12 possible images just to go along with the tribes. Um, here's 12 possible images. You select what you think should be on the cover. And I collated all these and looked at it, and then we did listen to none of them, and we went our own way with it. So, um, you know, the cover That's, that's image, why you have the Holy Grail on the cover, right? That's, that's right. That's why we have the Holy Grail on the cover. This one with our Indiana Jones leanings, you know. And so, you know, we chose for the cover, for those who can't see it uh, um, or don't have it in front of them, weighing down their desk, uh, we'll we chose we'll a seven... It. Yeah, yeah, we, we chose a seven-spouted lamp from Tel Dan, um, and my research funds graciously covered the, the cost of, of um, getting the image. Uh, but it, it's because, as we dug into this, one of the things that identifies Israel, right, as Israel is identified in the Hebrew Bible, is being, right, a specific sort of, um, and at some points sort of inclusive, um, Yahwistic group, right? And so this seven-spouted lamp is not just found at Tel Dan. They're found. It's found in north and in south, and it's kind of the sort of uniting factor. Um, and can say this is this is going to cover all the things. Is it real like sort of cultic in use? Yes, but at the same time, it's still utilitarian, quotidian, if you will. And so you know, it it has kind of all the and and that's what we were sort of like looking for when we think about Israel. You know, is it the first temple period? Well, yeah, but twelve hundred there was no temple, so. Right, we have to sort of go from there, and so that sort of ethnogenesis, to use an Avi Faust term, right, that from that time period through the Babylonian conquest, how do we navigate this, and, and what do we mean? The seven-spouted lamp kind of sums it up. Nice, yeah, I, I, I know it's probably hard to pick uh, one image to reflect, but I, I do really like the cover. It's quite handsome, uh, and it's, it's uh, both a complete vessel, but also reconstructed a bit. Uh, which is a nice, uh, a nice touch. Uh, well, let's metaphor. go into the. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's right. It's a metaphor. Uh, let Let's go into the different uh, sections and scope of the volume. Uh, can you guys go into some detail there? And maybe if we just talk about, you know, why? Okay, it's, we can't talk about all forty-seven uh, <laughs> chapters, but you can talk about. Okay, why did you choose uh, cult? Why did you choose material culture? Why did you choose literacy? Like, what what do these have to offer um, in terms of the overall scope? How do, how are they telling this bigger story about the ancient Israelite world? Yeah, well, yeah, some some of the the topics I think were topics that I personally was just interested in and didn't you know there wasn't a good resource out there that existed, and so. Like, well, somebody should write on this. It's not me. I don't have the background. So let's just plop it in there. And, you know, so that's how some of the individual chapters came about. But then thinking about, you know, okay, how do we make a coherent volume that really has a breadth that covers so many different aspects? And it was it was a bit of a challenge to kind of narrow it down. But we tried to come up with different overarching arenas or themes or, or areas. So religion is one um, or cult is one uh, language the socioeconomy and kind of political structure is one, the material culture is one, 
Uh, and of course, we really, really wanted that. How do we frame all of the discussion? I mean, this is such an important thing. And what are the backgrounds and, and physical geography and historical geography literally is the foundation of the historic events that obviously it was necessary to discuss. And then the other thing that I really wanted to do, and which is done in a couple of volumes, but just not, not you know, broadly, I guess, applied, is where where are we at the moment and what are the changes taking place in the field and where where can we go from here because you know the changes are taking place and there's this new technology and new ability as i kind of already mentioned and we really want to take advantage of this it's to just go back and say the same thing over and over and over really isn't moving us forward in any way and wouldn't make for a very good read either and i think we wanted to include things you know like um especially a section on like israel amongst the nations because you know, for one, we want to want to include Israel's neighbors uh, that influenced both the northern and southern kingdoms um, and the United Monarchy, and, and even their you know, as we think about it, like the Amorites and Canaanites, their you know interaction with those inhabitants of the land as they right are coalescing and emerging and settling, um, and or the New Kingdom and Ramesside period Egyptians or things like this. But we also want to include things like um, so. Uh, Crystal Pierce uh, talks about, uh, you know, a little bit about Israel in Egypt during the Iron Age, right? So how does, how does it, what does it look like for Israelites to be abroad um, and things like this? And so th this is all sort of part and parcel. So we really sat down and thought about um, what makes up the ancient Israelite world and how do we then sort of co like group these papers together. Uh, and we talked about this, right, and shifting, maybe this person's paper belongs in a different section, or how do we arrange the section? That was also a discussion. So when you look at religion, like part five, um, you know, how do we, like, build this up? And so, you know, religion in the house with Jeremy Smoke, and then Christoph Eulinger's, like, visual things, and the iconography, and, and that. Then Kyle and I have a chapter about the archaeology of Israelite cult, which is, that's just a preview for a much larger tour de force on archaeology of Israelite cult. Um, but looking at Yahwisms, um, like in the plural sense, as, as it sort of stood at the time, and then it goes into ritual, right? And then prophecy, and then eventually death and afterlife. I mean, death and afterlife has to be the last chapter in any section on religion because, you know, that's just how it is. But, you know, some of these things came about very organically, and we could be like, okay, here's us. And some of it required a lot of discussion, say, how do we, how do we like best organize this? But there, there needs to be right these various parts so that we can get a whole as holistic picture as possible um, of the ancient Israelite world. Yeah, no, I, I can see that, and I can see how even a class on ancient Israelite religion uh, could benefit from these six chapters by itself. And that's what I think maybe. Uh, you guys can comment on the next question is who the audience is this for you know there's um it used to be that there's just kind of typical biblical archaeology course that you take or maybe you have a course on old testament survey um and i know those types of typical courses are changing at different universities and different different places so maybe you could talk about some potential applications of this of this volume as uh, a textbook, uh, or just really just give us some more general comments about who do you envision as the audience uh, for this book? George, you want to go first? Well, Chris, you're the audience. You need to read forty six more chapters. No, uh, just, just kidding. No. Um, so when Kyle Kyle brought me on and, and we started talking about it, we we thought of it in terms of I think originally, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle, but. 
we had originally thought, thought about it in terms of graduate students and fellow colleagues. So, um, and that's not barring, you know, general interested readers, that's fine. Um, but people who, we wouldn't have to spell everything out. I had already written um, several chapters for an undergraduate textbook that the um, Jerusalem Center for Ancient Near Eastern Studies uh, from Brigham Young University there on Mount Scopus, um, they use. And we had to write that for undergraduates, assuming that the undergraduates knew nothing. Um, and so that, you could imagine the sort of labor that goes into having to explain every single thing for an undergraduate audience. And so I think we originally envisioned, at least I did, um, graduate students, yeah, sure, interested lay public as we sort of talk about that, but like graduate students and fellow colleagues so that they could have, here's the current state of the field, so that they could have in several sections like your chapter, um, Chris, or my chapter um, on settlement patterns or others to say, here's a case study, here's how they applied this, now I could apply this in my own research, or in my own research, here's a theoretical sort of aspect of monumental architecture or on gender um, or children that is is current and then this is how we move forward with this and so um, hoping that I don't know hoping that we have used to colleagues um, or like I said graduate students who are entering into the field and look at this and say okay this is something that I can do and this is something I can can apply in my own research uh, and then carry it forward if that makes sense I don't know Kyle like help me out here yeah, no, definitely. I think the, the original aim um, was for more advanced undergraduates, grad students, and, and colleagues as well. And the, the nice thing, though, or the nice thing is, is that in reading these, everybody did such a great job framing their discussion and presenting, you know, opening up the topic that I really think that anybody would find, if anyone's interested in ancient Israel, that this would be a great resource because you don't jump right into the frying pan with all this technical jargon, but it's, it's framed. I mean, some of that is there, but it's framed in a really accessible way. And so, yes, I think people that have some background will, will find a lot of useful material here. Um, colleagues, I think it will get them thinking about, about, you know, their own research. I mean, I know, I know it certainly generated uh, several different kind of, avenues of research for myself in, in reading the different chapters. Um, but at the same time, you know, people that, that are coming fresh to it are going to are going to find it accessible in a way that will open things up in a, in a more robust way than than some of these typical um, pre existing textbooks do. And I, I think it also provides a good jumping yeah, that, off point. Yeah. So there's so just for you know example, and I, I was excavating at Ashkelon in what 2014, 14. Um, in addition to working in the N5 cemetery, I also spent some time in, in grid 51. And at the time they were excavating parts of the Babylonian destruction uh, of Ashkelon in 604. Um, and, and interestingly, the conversation came up in which we, we started talking as supervisors with, with each other about the archaeology of destruction. And then what do you do like as a city is destroyed? And what do you do when you need to resettle that city? Is there a ritual that's involved? What's the sort of mechanics physically of trying to resettle? Do you need to rake, you know, destruction? And so Igor Kremerman wrote this, this chapter about the destruction of cities. And I'm like, this is an excellent jumping off point for some of these questions that arise in the field, just among colleagues that you go, yeah, I really don't, I've never really thought about what you do when you need to destroy a city or when you need to resettle a destroyed city. And Igor's like, yeah, so this is something I've been thinking about. I wrote a chapter. And so some of the chapters are like that. 
you know, Norma writes a chapter about the stone volutes and the, the, the palmette capitals um, in, in Israel and in Judah. And, and it just got me thinking about, like, what are some other trappings of, of architecture on that sort of level that we could look for that we haven't? Um, or, or Jenny Ebling, we had a long talk uh, when she was writing her chapter about how to approach gender in a way that hasn't been done before, or what are the holes? And it got us thinking then, Jenny, myself, and probably Kyle, because I know he talked to her too, um, about what are the avenues then of future research and what kind of data should we be looking for when we dig that we can actually start to talk more about gender issues in ancient Israel, masculinity, femininity, um, you know, eunuchs in the sort of middle ground, right? And all sorts of other things. Like, how do we see this archaeologically? And so I think it just prompts those sort of questions and gets us, gets people thinking, at least I hope it does. Basically, what you're telling me is that we have our next 47 episodes uh, for On Script Biblical World by these chapter, uh, by these chapters. Uh, uh, they're, they're, in fact, I, I actually, I'm kidding, but some of these, I mean, many, all of these would be fine, but many of these would be very interesting. <laughs> many, many of these would be very interesting on the, on their own. And I look forward to, uh, to reading them. Um, as we wrap up, as we wrap up, uh, any fun, I mean, Kyle shared some stories, you know, he, you know, salted a site or Bob Cargill salted a site with a cuneiform tablet. Hot, so we've heard that in the past, George. We want to hear some fun dig stories for you. Can you share any interesting stories uh, that are out there for you that, you know, you've been a long time in the field at Ashkelon and Tel Shumron, and yeah, I'm stalling so you can think of something. Um, uh, it has to be appropriate. Um, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be. We can always cut That's it. That's the key. It has we to can be always cut it. No. Um, who who oh, decides what's see. appropriate? Yeah, right. Uh, let's see. I don't know. I have so like, yeah, there, there are a lot of, a lot of interesting tales. Um, cause I've been right in various places. Yeah. You mentioned Ashkelon, Jaffa, uh, Tel Shimron, Beersheba, like all kinds of other places. Um, trying to think. Where did, so, where did you excavate in Beersheba? So in Beersheba, I excavated, actually Kyle was with me. We excavated in the marketplace in the center of, of Be oh, modern Beersheba. And so we had excavated, um, nice. uh, it was Byzantine and late Roman. And then, um, we got down to iron age, right? So Kyle, Kyle and I mm -hmm. dug in a, in an area and I was the area supervisor. Uh, and we hit down to, to eighth, seventh century, um, um, Judahite. In fact, I think the, we had like a full mud brick, right? Out of, out of that thing. There was like a mud brick that was like turned yes. on side. So yeah, Kyle came in and dug with me. Uh, and that was during the, what, the Very second nice. Lebanon war, right? So yeah, 2006. Yes, yeah, I, I had been at Hatsor earlier and got, 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 uh, evacuated because, you know, missiles were flying from Lebanon. And so went as, you know, to Jerusalem, hung out there for a little while, then went to Beersheba. So just kept moving South and had a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's see. always fun when you're. No, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, ahead. it's always fun when you excavate in Israel. When you excavate in Israel, you can define um, your time there by what conflict is happening, like yeah. the Iron Dome year of 2014 or the Lebanon War. Oh, yeah, that's so. I mean, maybe that in itself is a is a nice uh, kind of sad but reality that that you can that our you know our audience can think of is you're you're digging in a square 
and all of a sudden uh, you hear sirens and it's time to to get out. It, it always makes it exciting. Now, thankfully, it's you know few and far between, but it but it can happen. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know, just... one thing I'll oh, yeah, oh ahead. sorry go ahead Josh no, no no you go no I was just gonna fill time um, if you had to think of something just from our days at Jaffa there are many many stories of, of working with. Um, with many workers, one of whom took his his scooter and drove it through the excavations on a bulk and almost collapsed an entire bulk and crashed into people. So that was unexpected. Um, I, I was just thinking of that. There was a couple others I thought from Jaffa. Um, I was just going to embarrass you and be like, uh, remember when we were digging? So 2000, uh, oh shoot, 2009, right? Was that the Jaffa Friends Forever summer? Uh, 2009, we were digging in the visitor center in Jaffa. Um, and if you've ever been there, it is actually now underground. Um, they put a roof over it in the 90s uh, over Jacob Kaplan's excavations from the 60s. Uh, um, and it's a, it's a second temple period, mostly a little bit of Hasmonean um, there. And, uh, and so one year we spent, so 2008 we spent digging. And funnily enough, um, they kept the visitor center open. And in those days, visitors would come down the stairs and they would they would sort of walk around excavations. There were no signs. It was just like, here's a whole bunch of ruins in the ground. Okay, great. Uh, but they would play a, a, a movie that, uh, that they would show. And it had all kinds of things, including like old footages of, of Israeli movies like Casablanca, which was filmed in, in Yafo and, and all kinds of other things. Uh, and they would actually like... They, they had to show the movie, so they would turn off the lights. So every time a set of visitors would come through and we'd be excavating, the lights would just go off, and we were in complete, utter darkness, and they would just show this movie. And they would... <laughs> and eventually we got to memorize the it movie. It was a musical, too. It, yeah, no, it was, yeah, it had a, yeah, musical, it was a musical part. Yeah. And so we would know, like, we'd just be like, okay, here's the coming, and then there's like a little song and dance, and you just like, do your thing. Um, and I think that was the summer that I was like, forget this. Like next time it goes off, I'm just digging in the dark. I don't care. Like we have to, like, we have a you know job here. We got to do this. And I, I picked, I just took a pick. I started picking in some fill, um, uh, behind a, a, a early Roman period wall and just, you know, picking out the fill and, and trying to get it removed. And in the process, when the lights came back on and we started cleaning it up, surprisingly, we, we there were two complete Herodian lamps that were in that fill that I had missed and hadn't even hit with a pick, and yet there they were, and it was great. But I was going to embarrass Kyle because we also dug there the next year, and um, you can imagine with not a whole lot of ventilation how hot it gets inside of a place. And they had actually closed the visitor center finally um, for us to dig. And uh, so we'd go on breaks and go up and out to get some fresh air um, and, you know, get some beverages from the kiosk there and, and in the center of Jaffa and everything. Uh, and Kyle would be left behind. And we'd come back, and he would have moved every single fan in the place that we had running to focus <laughs> directly on his square. And so he was just sitting in the middle of this <laughs> vortex of, like, fan air and excavating while everybody else was outside enjoying sunshine and fresh air. He was just, you know, moving all the fans and then, you know, just enjoying his own time down there. So that was uh, that's a few fun, like, memories of Jaffa and... And, and other places. We Sounds some, fun. Yeah, we you know, there's some there's some interesting stories. <laughs> so we'll just leave we'll leave it at that. There there's some really we'll interesting stories. Yeah, anybody wants to, they can just contact me. I'll tell them. I'll give them a full earful. There's uh there's all kinds of stuff. Well, I I did I did have a couple more questions, but but we're out of time. These are really juicy questions. Um, but you know we just don't have enough time. It was like 
what was your least favorite paper in the volume? Which scholar will you never work with again? But we're, we're out of time, so we can't answer <laughs> those uh, answer those questions. Um, but we really want to thank you uh, for, for coming on, George, and of course, Kyle, um, for talking about this, uh, this great uh, new study. And we look forward to all of our readers buying it because it's right up the biblical world alley of grad students and colleagues. So go check it out. Um, and until next time, in the words of Kyle, keep digging. You've been listening to OnScript's Biblical World Podcast. If you enjoy this show, please show your support by giving us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can support the show by visiting onscript.study donate. Until next time, keep digging.